Welcome to the Real Life Arizona podcast, the latest sermons from the Sunday worship gatherings of Real Life Ministries Arizona, delivered weekly right here. Let's get to this week's message. I'm going to pull a Brian Bell this week and, and kick off with a story. I love stories, a good story. Um, Aaron Ralston was born in Marion, Ohio in 1975. Uh, when he was 12 years old, his family moved to Denver, Colorado, and it was in the, the area of Denver and the, and the mountains around it that Aaron uh, took an interest in the outdoors and took up skiing and, and backpacking. Uh, he would go to college on the East Coast and pursue a degree in mechanical engineering, uh, but he would return to Colorado in the summers and work as a river guide, uh, river rafting. Uh, to earn some money. After a few years, after graduation, a few years of working for large corporations in various cities, um, Aaron decided that that wasn't the life for him. And so he quit his job and moved to Aspen, Colorado uh, to pursue his passion of mountaineering. And one of his goals was to conquer all of the peaks in the state of Colorado that are 14,000 feet in elevation or higher. Any guesses as to how many peaks 14,000 feet or higher there might be in Colorado? There, I think there might be one in Arizona. <laughs> 59. There's 59 summits in Colorado that are 14,000 feet or higher. Um, and Aaron thought it would be cool to summit all 59 peaks but he just didn't want to just summit all 59 peaks. He wanted to summit all 59 peaks solo and during winter. Gives you an idea of the kind of guy that Aaron Ralston was. Uh, well, during his pursuit, um, he and two friends would climb Resolution Peak in Colorado. Now, it's not a 14er, so he brought some friends. Uh, and they, they climbed Resolution Peak uh, and, and the intent was to do some backcountry back skiing on the way down. Uh, but as they climbed, they had no idea what awaited them on the descent. Uh, as they were descending on skis, a grade five avalanche uh, occurred uh, right around them and, and swept them up. I, I didn't know this, but a grade five avalanche is the largest possible avalanche. 100,000 tons of snow or more is what it takes to be a grade five avalanche. Uh, they would all three survive this avalanche, uh, but the ordeal would cost him two friendships, uh, two friends who tried to warn Aaron that his recklessness uh, and reckless abandon in his pursuit of the outdoors uh, was too much for them. Surprisingly, this grade five avalanche would not be his most challenging survival experience. Uh, we're gonna come to that later. Uh, but speaking of mountains, oh, thank you. Speaking of mountains and summits, uh, as I mentioned, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount called The Way. Uh, Jesus is the way, and he's, he's trying to point his disciples to the way, through his life, through his teachings. And I just want to set the context for us and remind us that as, as Matthew 
uh, records the Sermon on the Mount and these teachings of Jesus. He, he does so in such a way that he wants to remind us that, that Jesus is this figure of the new Moses. That, that just as Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God, Jesus is now ascending the mountain with his disciples. And he's laying out his vision for the kingdom. Uh, if you will, he's laying out a new law for a new people of God. This new community of Jesus. And it's helpful here, I think, particularly in this passage, uh, to, to picture Jesus uh, as, as two things, as, as the creator of all things, uh, and, and as the author of life. And, and why is that important? Well, it's because Jesus is not just issuing opinions upon the mountain. He is the founder of life, the creator of life. He, he knows how he has made us and what he has made us for. And so as he is on, this, on the mountain delivering this sermon, it's, it's not just opinions. Uh, he's telling us how it really is. He, he's laying out for us how life should really be lived. And, and as we've already seen, he's, he's helping us to see the heart behind the commandments, behind these Old Testament commandments delivered to Moses on that mountain. Would you pray with me as we jump into the word this morning? Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you that even in the midst of dark times, uh, that we can gather and worship and, and be reminded of your heart, uh, to be filled with light, to be reminded of the truth and, and the hope that we have in you. Uh, I pray that this morning as we open up your word that you would allow us to open our hearts um, open our ears to hear what you have to say and, and our hearts to receive the truth that you have for us today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, just to start us off again, Jesus has gone up on the mountain in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Matthew writes, And seeing the crowds, Jesus went up the mountain. And when he sat down, as teachers in his day did to teach, uh, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then we pick up in verse 27 here this morning. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, uh, I'm revealing the backstory to this commandment. I'm, I'm revealing the commandment as it should really be understood. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, this teaching of Jesus is short, <laughs> but striking. Uh, I was just trying to imagine what it would have been like to be his listeners seated there, um, many of whom had heard this commandment and understood for years and years how they thought it was to be obeyed. Uh, but as Jesus delivers this, uh, no one is accepted uh, by his words. It's, it's, it's a strong it's a strong teaching, it's a challenging teaching for them and for us. Uh, some of the words that stand out here um, for me were uh, when he says, I tell you that everyone who looks, uh, 
or every man, every person. Uh, and, and by the way, stick with me here, ladies, because um, this, this isn't just for the guys. Um, it's, it's for you also, so hang in there. We're going we're gonna to get to some of that. Um, but, but Jesus, it's interesting here because uh, unlike many of his contemporaries of that day, Jesus is laying the responsibility right where it belongs here. He's laying it on the men who look and not the women who are beautiful. Um, for everyone that uh, thinks that Jesus is anti-woman, um, there's so many parts of the gospel, so many parts of his life that remind us that no, he was, he was the beginning of women being seen as equals. He, he, was, he was the defender uh, of women. Uh, and so Jesus puts that responsibility squarely where it belongs and he says that everyone or every man, every person. You know, usually when Jesus speaks, he says, whoever does this, whoever believes in me, uh, or if anyone does this. So, so the language is, is extremely inclusive here. He's saying that everyone who does this, who looks at a woman with lustful intent, and then the, and then the next two words, has already committed. Has already committed. Jesus... Jesus shifts our understanding here. Uh, you could say uh, a, a phrase that was used a lot in the past couple of years. Jesus is moving the goalposts, <laughs> right? For, for hundreds of years, the goalpost was right here on not physically committing adultery with someone. And now Jesus is shifting the goalpost way over here. And he's going, no, no, no. It, adultery doesn't happen there. It happens here in this moment, it, not somewhere down the road after another series of choices, but it, but it happens right here, right in this moment. And then it's interesting that he says he includes the person. It's been committed with her. And he includes the location in the heart. It, it's a redefinition, a new understanding of God's intention. You see, because in Jesus' understanding of the marital covenant and, and, what mer and what covenant faithfulness looks like, in the Jesus ethic that he is laying out here for all to see, the heart is as important as the hands. The, the intentions of our heart carry as much importance as the actions of our bodies. Because as Jesus will go, to you know, go on to remind us in Matthew 15, what, what comes out in the hands, what, what comes out of the body, uh, originates in the heart. In Matthew 15, he says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, murder adultery, sexual immorality, theft, slander. And so he's laying it right here in this moment in the heart. Now someone might ask, well, what does it mean to look with lustful intent? Right? It, it's important, to, it's important to understand that phrase, so what does it mean? You know, something in me, something in you, we, we want to know where this line is. And, and it's, it's an interesting distinction to want to know where the line is so that you can avoid it. <laughs> and to want to know where the line is so that you can tiptoe it. Right? And, so, and so hopefully as we say, well, what does it mean what is Jesus referring to here? Ho hopefully it's so that we can avoid it and not so that we can tiptoe it and get as close to the line as possible. Uh, you know, it, it's something more than noticing. 
It's something more than noticing someone. It was interesting, I thought I would go back to my psychology degree that I put in all that hard work for at Northern Arizona University on my way to becoming a lumber cat. Um, so, I, so I did a little reading this week and, and it is something more than noticing because as I discovered this week, uh, the recognition of beauty or even a feeling of attraction is precognitive. In other words, it happens before you think about it. Uh, and one of the articles that I found um, said this. It said that physical attractiveness can be uh, assessed within an exposure time of 100 milliseconds. Uh, I had to go to my engineer friend just to clarify that is one-tenth of a second. Right? So, so that evaluation is being made in one-tenth of a second and can result in an affective response indexed by pupil dilation within 500 milliseconds, which is a half a second. Yes. Yes. So in other words, before you have time to think, not only has your brain decided about attractiveness or not attractiveness, beauty, not beauty, but your body has begun to respond already. Uh, and so, um, what was the other thing on there? Oh yeah. In that last sentence, what is more attractiveness judgments made in 100 milliseconds are highly correlated with judgments made without a time constraint. In other words, those 100 millisecond judgments prove true, even after you've had time to think about it. Uh, and so, what, do we, what does this mean? It just basically means that it's more than noticing. That, that what Jesus is talking about is more than just noticing that someone is attractive, noticing um, beauty uh, and the presence of beauty. And so, this line that he's talking about has to be somewhere in the desiring, right? That, that the noticing evokes desiring. Uh, and, and it's in that moment uh, that a decision is made that is really the crucial decision um, about whether you cross the line or you stay safely uh, in the range that Jesus would advise. And so the solution isn't to remove ourselves from society. People tried that. <laughs> they went and they lived in caves and deserts and they found that they were still thinking about women. <laughs> um, you know, as some cultures try to cover women from head to toe uh, and the men just start fantasizing about feet. Uh, and so <laughs> we've been built in. A sexual component it, that God has placed in us is, is strong and powerful, but it's intended to be good strong and powerful in good ways and used in, in right ways. And Jesus is calling us to be aware and to manage the gift that he's put inside of us so that it doesn't become something other than a gift. And so the solution isn't to remove ourselves from society, but, but to be aware, to manage our looking and how we respond. Um, because to fail to do so, well, let's, let's let Jesus talk on that note. Uh, because in the next couple of verses, he gives us a sense of how seriously we should take this. And in verses 29 and 30, he says, Now if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. <laughs> if they weren't stunned by the first two sentences, the people seated in front of Jesus are stunned now. Uh, this is, as, I, as I looked at the passage that Brian spoke on last week, I, I saw that here, this is Jesus's, this is how important is this, this is moment. Right? He, he has a, this is how important this is moment right here. Last week with anger and, and telling you to leave your sacrifice at the altar, that even if you're right there at the altar preparing to sacrifice and you remember that your brother has something against you, to leave your sacrifice there, travel days if you need to, and be reconciled. That, that Jesus was saying, stop whatever you are doing. Right? Even if it's the highest form of worship, even if you're about to sacrifice, in that moment, stop and go. That was the stop whatever you are doing statement. For here, for lust and adultery, a statement is a, it's a do whatever it takes. A do whatever it takes moment for Jesus. If it requires your eye, your eye. If it requires your hand, your hand. If it requires some drastic movement, some drastic decision, do it. You know, this is where we pick up the Aaron Ralston story, part two. Uh, as I mentioned, the grade five avalanche didn't really change much for Aaron. Um, so just a few months later, he would head to the Canyonlands National Park of Utah uh, alone. Uh, he left his vehicle that day uh, without telling anyone where he was going or how long he would be gone. And uh, it turns out that no one would see or hear from him for six days. And that's because as Aaron was descending a slot canyon, uh, about the time that he jumped off of a boulder to get down below it, that boulder dislodged and fell. Uh, it first crushed his left hand and then rolled over and pinned and crushed his right hand and arm. Uh, he was stuck. Immediately he began trying to move the boulder, break the boulder, do whatever he could to escape the boulder, but there was no escaping. So he began to ration his small amount of water and food. I believe he had 30 ounces of water and two small breakfast burritos that he had brought with him that day. And he began rationing, figuring that sooner or later someone would find him. But he would spend three days trying to lift or break the boulder before realizing that a, no one was coming, and B, the boulder wasn't going anywhere. On the fourth day, he concocted a plan to amputate his arm in order to escape. But he realized that the tools that he had with him, <laughs> which was just a small leatherman uh, with pliers and a couple of knives on it, uh, was not going to be enough to get the job done. On the fifth day, he ran out of food and water began to drink his own fluids to stay alive, uh, and he carved his name and the presumed date of his death on the wall of the canyon in which he was trapped. He also used what was left of the battery and film in his <coughs> camcorder uh, to record his final goodbyes to family and friends. 
But he woke up the next morning. To his great surprise, he was still alive. And he had had an epiphany in the night. He realized in his delirious state uh, that he could use the leverage of the rock and the canyon uh, to snap the bone in his arm that his tools could not cut through. And he proceeded to amputate his own arm in that canyon after tying off, working with various, uh, what do you call those things that you put around your arm? Tourniquets. Uh, he, he wrapped the tourniquet and just prepared to die. But he managed to remove himself, extricate himself from the boulder, climb out of the canyon. He repelled 65 feet down a wall and hiked six miles before he ran into a couple who was visiting from out of the country who immediately ran to get him help. And Aaron Ralston made it out of Canyonlands National Park that day. Because Aaron Ralston was willing to do whatever it took. He had a whatever it takes moment in the canyon that day. And he recognized that it was life or death. That it was literally life or death. And I think that's how Jesus wants us to see this topic that he's talking about. That our willingness and ability to obey what he is calling, what he is laying out, is life to us and life to others. And our failure to do so brings death to us and death to others. You know, we might scoff at Jesus' notion and redefinition of adultery, the drastic measures that he commends as an unrealistic standard or simply not to our liking. Come on, it's not that big of a deal. Every guy's checking out everybody. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? We might, we might scoff. That might be our response. But Jesus is not wrong. If you've been on this planet long enough, you've been around long enough to know that he is not wrong. Because sadly, there is a long list of people who do not recognize the stakes or take Jesus's whatever it takes approach. And the effects reverberate through their worlds and our worlds uh, the way that Aaron Ralston's death would have reverberated through his. You know, I think in recent news of the church, uh, of Carl Lentz and Brian Houston, both big names in the Hillsong world, seemingly living the dream. Uh, and while I don't know the, all the situation around Brian Houston, the, I believe, founder and head of Hillsong International Church, I know that there's been enough that he's been excused from his duties at the church. I, I ran into a young couple who was working at uh, LGO who are now church homeless as a result of it. They don't, they don't know what to do. <laughs> The church that they were a part of now no longer exists. Another name, Ravi Zacharias. Since the 80s, he's been an international evangelist, pastor, traveling around the world. But for all that he 
has done for the kingdom, his destiny, his legacy has been tarnished forever by allegations of misconduct behind closed doors. And not just one or two, but many. Allegations of a ministry covering up things that were brought to their attention. What could have been nothing but life is now stained by darkness and death. In the non-church world, we have Bill Clinton, Bill Cosby, Tiger Woods, Matt Lauer, who as far as I can tell will always be known by this mark on their legacy, on their life. And in recent news, an Indiana pastor uh, with a young girl in his church, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention finally released 205 pages of names of people that brought that that uh, are facing rightfully facing allegations of sexual misconduct within the Southern Baptist Convention and churches. But a legacy of shunning those who bring it to their attention and protecting those who quote unquote need to be protected. And then there's all those that we know personally. For the most part, these are destinies and legacies forever altered. Simply for the failure to heed Jesus' words and advice to do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Because every single one of these examples I gave you started with a look. It started with noticing. And then it led to some thinking. At first harmless, but later became an 800 pound boulder that could not be escaped. So what are some takeaways for us? Well, unlike some in his day, as I mentioned, Jesus places the responsibility squarely on the men who are looking. And men, I, I know we joke around. I joke around about the fact that there's a 13-year-old still living inside of me. And there is. There's a 13-year-old still living inside of me, and he loves bad dad jokes, um, he loves bad humor, you know, all kinds of things. Um, but in some things in this life, there's no room for being children anymore. The Christ calls us to grow up into men. Men who own, men who love, men who protect. That's what Jesus is calling us to be. That's what he's created us to be. In in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth some words that are appropriate for us. Be watchful. Of what? Your heart. <laughs> Be watchful of your world. Be honest about what you are really up to and who you really are and what is really going on. Be, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Act like men. Be strong. 
you know, as I mentioned, this applies to men and women. You know, we all know men are more visual, but women are not immune. Uh, it tends to be more emotional, it tends to be more relational focused. But there's really no difference between a man fantasizing about a woman and her beauty and a woman fantasizing about having some other husband who would love her more or treat her better. To go down those paths, they are equally the same path. It's, it's desiring something other than what and whom the Lord has given you. And they're both dangerous trails to go down. You know, I, I remember back to the story that we used in our small group this past week with Cain and Abel. And the Lord tells Cain in, in a crucial moment, he says, sin is crouching at the door. It's right there, man. It, it is crouching at the door. It is set against you, but you must rule over it. And I think the words of Jesus are the same caution. That it's right there crouching at the door. That those looks, those thoughts, those daydreams are what open the door. Or we just crack it ever so slightly. And eventually it flies wide open. You know, Jesus here takes it to the most dangerous end. When he says that it would be better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. I think what he's saying is you could end up walking away from God. You could end up throwing away everything for nothing and or causing others to walk away from him. I think about in Mark, Jesus' words about how if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, that it, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and thrown into the see than to stand before the judgment of God that's waiting for him. And it, and it just makes me wonder what is awaiting that pastor in Indiana who built a, has, in her words, built a prison around this young girl for 27 years. What is awaiting him? I can tell you what's awaiting her. It's the compassion and the love and the grace Do whatever it takes, Jesus says, and do it quickly. Uh, the eye and the hand, Jesus' day, man, you needed those to survive. <laughs> to provide for you, to provide for your family. Losing one or the other might render you completely helpless and completely dependent on society to care for you. Do whatever it takes. I thought of a few things that might feel like an eye or a hand. Quit your job, if that's what you need to do. Move to another neighborhood. Sell your house. Stop going to that gym, that restaurant, that store. Delete an app off your phone. Stop driving that way when you drive home. Quit watching that show. Find a different small group. And then in smaller steps, so we don't get there, put, put boundaries, put guardrails in place. You know, I, I 
follow. I don't know if it was Billy Graham that originally started this or it was someone else. He just does not put himself in a situation where he's alone with another woman, whether it's riding in a car or sitting in a meeting or, or anything like that. Um, just didn't put himself in those situations. Uh, and I, I get to tell someone who's been trying to meet with me for a few months now. Um, her predecessor I met with for a few years every time he was in town. And I just need to tell her that the reason I'm not following up on the emails to get back to meet, to get together to meet with her about um, the uh, ministry that she's part of to give me updates and stuff is because I, I can't meet with her by myself. I just, I won't. Um, and so put boundaries, put guardrails in place. Tell someone else. You know, you, you feel that door is creaking open just a little bit. Tell someone else. Bring it to the light. Make sure someone knows. On, on a daily basis, be aware of what you eat. Be aware of what you're consuming. Be aware of what you're thinking. You know, I find for me personally um, that, that God's Word, even in small amounts, every day is redirecting my heart, redirecting my mind to what's important, to who He is to how this world really works uh, and who he's called me to be. I find that the healthier I am in my spiritual life, the healthier I am in the rest of my life. Maybe you guys have this experience too, right? With the food that you, the food that sounds good, the healthier you're living, the more you're working out, the more you want to eat healthy. And the more unhealthy you're living and the less you're exercising and do all those things, then all those bad things sound really, really good. And so it, some of it's the heart of our, the health of our heart determines what is appealing to it at any given moment. And then I obviously can't talk about this without talking about pornography. Um, again, probably most particularly to the men, but in our day and age, women are not an exception, unfortunately. Um, it has become much more pervasive. But pornography is a poison to your soul, to your heart. Um, it distorts your vision. It will make you incapable of seeing people as they really are of relating to them as they really are. Uh, and I'll just tell you, I speak from experience um, because um, I was exposed to pornography as a pretty young kid, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, and you know, growing up in this world, I just thought that was what teenage kids did, right? Ride our dirt bikes, you know, back in that day, there was a little fort, you know, and kids would stash nudie mags in there, and we just thought it was the coolest thing. Um, it's not the coolest thing. Um, it, it played a major role, had major effects on what I thought about women, what I thought about relationships. Uh, it, it played a difficult role in my relationship with my wife when we first met, and for the first few years um, of that. And I had no idea. I had no idea what it was doing uh, to me. But all I can tell you is what I tried to explain to her um, 
years and years and years after the Lord got a hold of me and that was no longer part of my life. That after I had escaped from um, that, the usage of pornography, it was like scales fell off of my eyes. I, I was able to see my wife as she really is instead of through this distorted lens that pornography had placed over my eyes. And so I, I know this passage is primarily directed towards married people, but young men, I'm speaking to you as well. Don't underestimate the danger and the power of this because it is forming your brain. It is forming pathways in your brain that you will work long and hard to overcome. Uh, and it is much easier to take Jesus' advice now and, and remove that thing from your life, whatever the cost. Thank you for joining us. Real Life Arizona is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. For more information about Real Life, please visit our website at reallifearizona.com or email us at info at May God richly bless you.